All right, let's go ahead and get started. We'll have a few stragglers. Uh, Terry's got the clipboard one final time. Oh, okay. Next Sunday after after worship, we're having our informational meeting. If you have not signed up, please sign up today so we know how much food to prepare. Should be about 45 minutes to an hour. Right after services, come back in here. We'll feed you chicken enchiladas, and we will have a more detailed explanation of how Celebrate Recovery works as opposed to just going over the principles. Today we are going to start with a period of meditation, so I'm going to turn it over to Julie. And look here, I have a pretty picture for everybody. Nice. <laughs> nice and serene. Okay. 
So from the opening pages of the Bible, God describes us as spiritual beings. We are not divided into three parts any more than he is divided into three parts. We don't have a soul. We are a soul. Hebrews says he breathed into the nostrils of the clay that he had formed, and he became a living soul. That is the Jewish view of life. The Greeks broke it up so that we have a soul and a body and that those two are in antagonistic relationship with each other. That is not a biblical view, but it is one that has been incorporated and embraced by much of Western Christianity. But it's not what the Bible reveals about our being. We are a living soul. We have three aspects, if you will, but without any of the three being present, we are not alive. Because we live in a physical realm that has disobeyed God, which God has left, this spiritual environment is dead, dead spiritually, separated from its creator. And we are born into that environment, and that has serious consequences for the lives that we live out. The Beatitudes, I believe, are the beginning of a tremendous sermon, sermon that Jesus, I believe, uh, delivered on more than one occasion. Luke records it on, a, on the plain, very similar sermon, but it begins with the same introduction, the Beatitudes, and that's what we're looking at. And if you read my uh, essay, if you will, it got quite lengthy by the end of the week. I was wrestling with it all week. We question, what are these Beatitudes? We've said that they're not commandments. They're not do this or else but their principles. The beatitude we're looking at today is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Augustine referred to this as the beatific vision. In the physical realm, we can't look at the sun without it doing damage to us. Augustine extrapolated from that, that in, on the spiritual realm, we can't look into the face of God in our present spiritual condition without doing damage to ourselves. And so God comes to us by way of reflection. He gives us principles that we can follow that will lead us into his presence. And of course, that journey will not be end, uh, fully completed until we reach him in eternity. But I strongly believe that we can begin the journey now, and I thank Julie for helping us, because it's exercises like this that help us turn off the physical. The physical distracts. The physical takes energy. The physical saps us sometimes of spiritual energy. 
So blessed are the pure in heart, another translation, happy are those who have pure hearts, because they will see God. So again, we know what the Beatitudes are not. They're not commandments. There are no verbs at all, much less imperative verbs, not in this introduction. They're not conditions precedent to please God. God is no more pleased with us or no less pleased with us. It's not about pleasing God. He's already pleased with his creation. Did he not say it is very good? You are his creation. And so these are not ways to get into heaven. These are not methods of gaining greater status before God. More brownie points, if you will. So what are they? They're principles that reveal the divine life. What do I mean by that? Well, a principle is an underlying rule or a value that governs the way things work. This is how it works. If you are interested in your spiritual life, then here are some principles you should pay attention to because this is how the spiritual life works. Am I going to be, you know, more holy? How can you be more holy than the holiness of God, which He made you, makes you in Christ? Can I be better? Well, what could be better than being a created child of God? So that's not the question, but can I live into the presence of God? Absolutely. Can I overcome my neuroses that my obsessive approach to my life has me in? Absolutely. Absolutely. And these principles are available. For example, we have principles at play in our physical realm, correct? Charlie, you're smirking at me. <laughs> Eat donuts and drink coffee every day. You know, breakfast of champions, right? probably not going to feel all that well physically, right? But what's the opposite principle in play? Eat a healthy diet, a balanced diet, plenty of water, plenty of rest. Take care of yourself physically. Now, are you earning anything? You're not earning anything. You are living into principles that are at work in the physical realm. That's what these are. These are physical, uh, spiritual principles. How does God live his life? How does God live his life? He, and, and, and we, get, we get to the edge and beyond our ability to describe, but God is a unified being, and yet he expresses himself in three what traditionally we call persons. So here's the Son, and yet what did the Son tell us? I am in perfect union with the Father. Here's the Holy Spirit, and yet in perfect union with the Son and the Father. Again, it, it boggles our mind. It goes beyond what we can comprehend, but I think we can get a grasp of it if we'll just stop and meditate on it. And so we have a similar 
way of being. We, yes, we are a body. We have a body. That's why Julian, our meditation, focuses a, us on. Imagine just the, the spinal column itself. Imagine what a miracle it is in your mind. It supports the weight of your body for, what, 80, 85 years? Some better than others, right? <laughs> but it's got a nerve that goes up and down it in the middle that's protected. It's got rubber cushions between each vertebrae. It's flexible. What an amazing piece of equipment. It's yours. Free of charge. I don't remember paying for mine. Did you pay for yours? Put it on the layaway plan? What did you say, Carl? That <laughs> but, but we're more than just bodies. We're, we're, we're spiritual beings. We're, and together we make up a living soul created in the image of God. And if we get in touch with that, it changes our lives. And in our context, what we're trying to say you know, if someone has become so neurotic in their obsessive approach to their life, they begin to feel so much pain at the end of the day that they numb their painness with drugs or alcohol or pornography or, you know, jumping on the computer and spending, spending, spending. And what's happening inside that, that being is a chemical reaction. Every time I take a hit off of that joint, every time I take a, a, a shot of that tequila, every time I push the send button and buy another article on Amazon, my brain rewards my body with a shot of dopamine. It's a very powerful narcotic. And we become addicted to that. The alcoholic is not necessarily addicted to alcohol. He's addicted to what the alcohol produces in his body. A heroin addict is not necessarily just addicted to the chemical heroin. He's addicted to the dopamine trigger that he gets. The shopaholic is not addicted to material things. He or she is addicted to the dopamine hit she gets from pushing that button or making that purchase. You ever seen a person who goes to the mall and buys bags and bags of things and then takes them all back and does it all over again? That's what our life is, is presenting us with. And our culture, as it becomes farther and farther disconnected with its spirituality, becomes more and more embroiled in these addictions. Pornography is that a, it's destroying our marriages. And it is every bit as much an addiction as anything else is. So here's another way of looking at this. If God were to live a human life, if he were to come into this environment, fallen as it is, living out of the presence of the Creator, what would that life look like? Yeah, you know the answer, right? We have a perfect model. And so how did Jesus live his life before God? And if you were in my class last quarter, you know 
I don't believe that Jesus was a superhuman God-man on earth. I don't believe he was infused with any gift of the Holy Spirit that is not available to us. Now, you may disagree with that. That's fine. I think he developed human faith the same way you and I develop human faith. He heard the Word of God. He read the Word of God. He listened to the Word of God. He obeyed the Word of God. He entered into a relationship with the God who inspired the Word, and his faith grew, as any of us can. So was he poor in spirit? Absolutely, he was poor in spirit. Somebody says, no way. He was super rich in spirit. Well, we can agree to disagree, right? I think as he's using this term in the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount, he embodies the idea of poverty of spirit. I'll give you my definitions in a minute. Was he? Did he mourn? John eleven thirty five, my favorite Bible verse, my favorite. Why? Because every summer, I, my my aunt Nancy would take us to Bible camp, and you got a brownie point that you could spend at the cantina for every Bible verse you memorized. And so this was my go to memory verse, right? John eleven thirty five. What does it say? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. There's one candy bar. <laughs> But wait a minute, wait a minute. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus wept. He was sorrowful. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. What in the world is he? He's a superhuman spirit. He's not a real human being. He doesn't feel emotions. So it's just a gimmick, right? I don't think so. I think he felt what human mourning feels like. Was he meek? Of course he was meek. Did he hunger and thirst for righteousness? He did. He longed out. See, Paul piggybacks on this tradition. Paul uses different terminology, but I, I think Paul is telling us the same thing. Those in Christ Jesus walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, who can explain to us Paul's use of the word flesh? You got a handle on it? What's he talking about? He's what? Human nature. Human nature. Yeah, your NIV before 2011 used what for this word? Sinful nature. Yeah, they, they reversed course in 2011 and went back. And their comments are interesting because they said we, that was misleading. Sinful nature. That's a different conversation. What else about this? Is it just the body? Is he talking about the body? What else is he talking about? Emotions. Okay. Our personal spirit, whatever's against the spirit of God, would be his definition of flesh. Okay. So everyone agrees there's something about us that is functioning in a way that it's not supposed to be functioning. Do we all agree with that? Okay. Give us some examples of 
Okay. Uh, There's something in us that's functioning not functioning not the way it's supposed to be. It's functioning. It's maladjusted. So you're saying when you look at pornography, not you necessarily, but <laughs> a man looks at pornography and he feels the stimulation, that that's functioning not the way it's supposed to be. When a man looks at a woman, or a woman looks at a man and says, hey, there's the GQ hunter. He looks nice. That stimulates us. That's a God-given stimulation. How is that different from the person who is not stimulated? Or in your case, alcohol. Why is it that I can take drink a beer and drink one beer, and okay, I like the taste of a beer, off I go. But you drink two six-packs. Because God made you, God made me, to naturally respond, right? And aren't we all sexual beings? And there's a purpose for that. So looking at pornography is okay? Eating. Wait, you didn't answer my question. How many of us, how many of us enjoy He's not going to answer my well, question. There probably are a few in here who don't. The majority of us do enjoy eating. We enjoy the taste. We enjoy the smell. Because God made us that way. So gluttony is okay? I don't know. What's the difference? That's all I'm asking. Difference between what? No, it's not making sense because you're not you're not answering my question. The difference is, I mean, he did make it make it a certain way, but then he also said there are limits, and when you cross that limit, it's a sin. I'm aroused by the view of a of a male body. Is homosexuality therefore okay for me? Can I act on that, or would that be out of design that God created human sexuality for? Bigger question is why did God make us this way? You never answer my question. You just answer it with another question. Says, is homosexuality is homosexuality a sin before God? Well, the, the word says that it is. Okay, so it is. Why is it? Because it's a. Answer that. Well, I'm trying to, and I'm trying to answer your question, because homosexual activity is a maladjustment, the way I'm using the word, of what God designed human sexuality to be. Well, let's talk about something. That well, does that answer your question of my definition? Something that I understand better. Let's talk about eating. Okay. And gluttony. Because I, I don't totally understand homosexuality. You know, I don't know what causes it. Um, I don't feel it. But I, I do understand that God made things in this world for me to enjoy food for instance and i know without a doubt that he made food taste good so that i would want to eat it <clears throat> and then as tabitha says you can only eat so much if you go beyond that point you're hosed why you can only look so much at a beautiful woman if you go beyond that point you're hosed why 
Why did God make us that way and then give us all these rules that we can't do it? I don't understand. Well, well why, if you go past... It's heaven, but the Bible says, and so that's all that matters. Okay. If you go... It's a mystery. Right, and there are things that he says that you will not know. You will not know. But if you go past the limit, why are you hosed in your mind, in your thinking? Because of the words in the text. Or because of the consequences? Sometimes, you know, if I go on an eating binge, it's probably not good for me, but, you know, a day later, no effect. Well, the point, I'm, the point I think I'm trying to make in this class is the maladjustment comes when we pursue God-given desires, like the desire to make a living for my family. That's a, that's a God-given responsibility. But if you look at it, you know, what's their number one need? My number one need of myself and my children is oxygen. Well, it's there for free. Number two need is H2O water, pure. Well, it's there pretty simply. The third need is food, which is relatively simple to acquire. Shelter, these other things, I can put that life together in a relatively simple fashion. Why did I drive myself into a career where I could make $500,000 a year? Was that because I needed that? No. Something else was driving me. That's what I'm trying to get at. A maladjustment. A maladjustment. Jim has the answer, I can tell by the look on his face. I think we're getting hung up on a deep concept that most of us understand fairly well. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, if, if I really want to, to spend some time turning upon what does according to the flesh mean or the sinful nature, then I tend to get wrapped around the axle. But the, the bottom line is that, uh, you know, God made us to have, uh, to be sexual beings, uh, to look at a woman and think, wow, that's, that's good. Um, I'm with Jack. I love eating. In fact, last night I was a little frustrated about something, and I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna eat, and I'm gonna feel good, you know. Um, and uh, the, uh, you know, was that gluttonous? Yeah, it probably was, bordering on that. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line there is that uh, it's Satan that knows what. Tim Schwamm's weaknesses are, and he does his very best to exploit them. Now, Skip here doesn't, doesn't have a problem uh, eating too much. You know, he can push away from the table every single time and uh, think, no, I'm, I'm done. But, you know, Christy's a good cook. She puts some stuff in front of me. I'm like, man, I can just eat stuff all day. You know, so, um, and Satan knows that. 
And that's what we're really talking about, about walking according to the flesh, is giving in to those things that, for whatever reason, in my being, I am weak. Not everybody is weak in the same way. Uh, and, I, you know, if you want to call it a maladjustment, I don't know. I, I don't know if yeah. I think that's the right word. Or not, I, I don't either. You got a better one? I, I don't. I don't have a, a single term that's good. You want to know what the Old Testament calls it? Go, Julie. Um, I think if we go further in Romans chapter 8, like Romans 8 verse 6, it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I know personally, um, yes, things can be used for good or they can be used for bad, but like Ecclesiastes talks about, there's a place and a time for everything. Mm -hmm. And if you over, if you try to eat a bunch of brownies, obviously I'm going to hurt the next day. But I try to incorporate various things so I can be healthier. And um, like we are a being, meaning physical and spiritual. So we do need to get in contact with that life and peace. And if we are only carnally minded, we will never obtain peace according to Romans chapter. Correct. And then it continues to say that if the carnal mind is enmity against God, so we can have no peace with God, and that's the whole thing about reconciliation and have a relationship with the Lord. And this is the practice so that when we are working toward that, well, not working, but in relationship with God so that we can see him as he is in heaven, I think we will be at more at peace here on earth as well as in the next life. Very good. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Um, in Romans chapter 7, and starting with verse 7 and going through the end of, of that chapter, Paul tells how he struggled with sin. He says, I, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I should do, I don't do. And it's the whole, that whole section really hones in on what struggles Paul had. And so what does he conclude? That, um, Thanks be to God. Yeah. Before that, about his about his present existence, wretched man that I am, there must be something at work inside me that is against the spirit of God. That's the point, and that's what I'm trying to identify as a maladjustment. Doesn't it go back to the garden? Sure does. I mean, that so to me, that's that's. <coughs> You, you've, got, you've got Satan there. You're going to be as wise as God. That's the reason he doesn't want you to, you know. I, I, so think, what, I think what Jack was asking, and Jack, you correct me, is kind of where does the maladjustment, we are created, I think we would all agree that a, a newborn infant, whatever, it's, it's perfect, essentially. So it's, we're not born with this maladjustment, and I'll use your dopamine example. Dopamine can also be a positive thing from a standpoint. I may get a, quote, dopamine rush. From looking at Michelle. Of course. <laughs> Pay me later, Michelle. I'm, I'm, I'm drunk on it right now. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, no, I, honestly, I may get a rush by serving someone. I may get a rush, and I think we've all been there. We could all raise our hands and go, don't you get that feeling? It's a dopamine feeling when you help someone, with, you know, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. 
But at some point in our life, we get to a point and we make decisions, we make choices. There's that internal battle mm-hmm. that Paul is talking about. It starts at an early age. Satan worked against it saying, that's not the dopamine rush I want you to go for. I want you to pursue X, Y, Z. Too much food, too much this, too much that, too much whatever you want. So every day we're in this battle. What are we ultimately going to get that rush from? You use the analogy of exercise and diet. I, I would say that the term I would use effectiveness. When you do those things physically, you're more effective. But the attitudes, when that is your attitude, when that is what you're going to be more effective as a servant, as a Christ follower, as an ambassador, whatever you want to say there, when that is what defines this internal drive. Excellent. Beautiful discussion. Yes, ma'am. Beautiful discussion. Thank you, Eric. God would be a very unjust God if he made us. Let's just take homosexual. And then he says in my word, but if you are a homosexual, you're not going to be with me in the end. If he made you that way and you couldn't be any other way. I agree with that. Free will. But we have to turn that free will over to him if we want to uh, overcome all we've been talking about in this class. Giving up our habits that are hurtful. Yeah. I want to go back to something Jack asked. You know, where is the line? The point, one of the main points I want to make in this class is I don't know and I don't think I have the right to tell you where your lines are. Um, I think the line is when the gift becomes God. We, we, refu- we refuse to give God the glory for what we're doing and it becomes a selfish endeavor, whatever, but God gave us sex to enjoy, but there's also a way to corrupt that that Satan has found very effective. And so then you're no longer following in God's design for what he created and it has become your God. There you so go. It is the same way. I think that's where the line is for each one of us. And only we we and God can determine where that line is. For each of us. Go ahead, Michelle. And we you know when we're walking with the Spirit because um, it says a fruit one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Absolutely. So if we're walking with the Spirit, we can discern that self-control, that balance is different for everyone. Beautiful. So I, I coming back to this, what does the Old Testament call it? It calls it idolatry. And it's just what Alan said. God has created us in a certain way. He designed us. And He designed us so that He as we live in communion with him, in union with him, we reach our full potential and he reaches his full potential for his creation. I think that's what he designed. Now, what did Satan do? He said, replace God with yourself. Right, Skip? You will become God. And we bought into that and we've been buying into it ever since. And anything, to use Alan's statement, anything that in my life takes the place of God, if it's food, and I, you know, I hate to use Tim as, a, as an example, but if I'm, if I'm feeling spiritually bankrupt, and instead of turning to God through exercises like Julie is trying to, 
to share with us. I turn to a bottle of booze. You may turn to a to a, a, a you know a, a game of poker online. You may turn somebody else may turn to a magazine with pornography. Somebody else may you know go run ten miles. I can't decide for you if that is spiritually detrimental to you. You have to decide for you. And what's great about this Celebrate Recovery is, you know, we get people, yeah, I'm going to go to Celebrate Recovery because my, my spouse needs it. You know, then they drink too much booze and you come back in six months and what does that person say? That person gets up and gives their testimony. I came here for him, but I found God for me. I found out where my maladjustments are. And understanding our maladjustments is the key. And it's not a system of, oh, I want to be better, you know, I want to go to heaven, I want to. It's, I want to live a more spirit filled life. Well, here are some principles that can help you. That's what we're trying to say. So here's some definitions poverty of spirit is a scarcity of self reliance in an environment that rewards performance and achievement. You know, you may have a physician who's got, a, got an addiction to opioids. He's been stealing opi opioids, writing his own prescriptions. He's totally addicted and he may come into recovery and say, I can no longer be a physician. If I'm going to pursue the spiritual life, I can no longer be a physician. Now, is that a law that we can legislate for everyone? No, that's him. That's his decision. I had a guy say to me, you know, I really wrestled. I went down to CarMax and I bought a used car. And when they came out to put the CarMax sticker on it, my flesh resisted that. Why? Because I wanted everyone to believe I had bought a brand new car. I didn't want everybody thinking that I was buying a used car. And he said to, to us, for me, I had to deal with that. Because for me, that was pride. Now, is that a, is that a, a, a legalistic legislation that we can... No. It's him dealing with his experience. My pride in my accomplishments is interfering with my relationship with God. Only I can answer that question for me and only you can answer that question for you. Now, when I'm a fallen down drunk, it's pretty obvious what I need to address first, right? But like I said, you know, I'm going to skip through those. I'm going to skip through those. We're running out of time. Making an accurate diagnosis is key. Because for years, I did not understand why I was so unhappy and why there was so much turmoil inside me. I did not understand why I reacted to my life the way I reacted to it. When someone said something, I reacted. Why do I do that? 
I'm learning and it's helping. So here's my, here's my analogy. There, there's all kinds of brokenness within us. And the Spirit of God will lead us to understand those areas of brokenness when we come to Him in the, the spirit of the Beatitudes and ask Him to show us. But here's the thing. There's lots of different causes for the same symptom, right? I use a silly example from my high school days. My oil light came on, Brent Launt said, in our auto shop. Brent Launt was my best friend's older brother. We didn't have cars, he did. My oil light is on. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm low on oil? Could be. Well, Brent checked the oil, and he had plenty of oil. Oh, well, I see. Go ahead. You're, you you want to say something, because you're our mechanic, right? No, not at all. I said maybe oil pump. Okay, oil pump. Yeah, there, there's at least three different issues. The, the oil level is low, but you know what? It's not testing the oil level. It's testing the oil pressure. So you've got an oil pressure sensor. So Brent said, hey, look at that. He had an old Ford Falcon. There's the sensor right there. I can replace the sensor easy. So he screws out the sensor, puts in a new sensor. I got plenty of oil. I got plenty of, I got a brand new sensor and the oil light still comes on. So what does he do? Must be a faulty bulb. He goes in there and cuts the wire to the oil light and drives his car out of auto shop before they close the gate. Well, he didn't come back, <laughs> right? Why? Because he figured out you got an oil pump. And that's the same with us, folks. What's eating you? What's eating him? What's eating her? What's causing that maladjusted behavior? Am I aware of the core cause of my unhappiness? See, for years, I would go, I had a preacher tell me right there in his office, I can see him just as plain as day. Bob, your problem is pride. Your problem is pride. And I've told you my story, right? I'm sorry for you guys on the other side of the room, you can't see this. So we've got hurts, we've got hang-ups, we've got habits, and, and habits develop character. What's my hurt? My hurt is I'm sexually molested when I'm five years old. I've got a mom who doesn't care. I got a dad who doesn't care. I got a brother who tortures me because of it. What is my hang-up? I'm terrified of being a homosexual. Bobby the homo, they called me. They called me something much worse. So what are my habits? My habit is a life of overachievement. And therefore, and here's, and here's what we'll quit on. Here's what I'm trying to say. I can't tell you what your hurts, hangups, and habits are. You have to figure that out. Why? Because I'll get it wrong. When you come to celebrate recovery, you'll hear, we're not here to fix each other. We're not here to fix each other. Why? Because we don't know how. We don't even know how to diagnose the symptoms properly. 
Your problem is pride. Is my problem pride? No, my problem is absolute abject shame. I'm ashamed of who I am. I'm ashamed of what I am. I am ashamed of the person that I am, and I feel I'm worthless, and so I'm overachieving. Now, do my symptoms look a lot like arrogance? They look exactly like arrogance. But you'll hear in Celebrate Recovery, do not fix each other. You get into a room, you start sharing about your hurts and your hang-ups, and the first, first thing everybody wants to do, well, I got a great book for you to read. I know the answer to your problem. And this, the facilitator will say, stop. We are not here to fix each other. God will fix us. We're here to walk with each other as we heal together before God. And it works. It works. Individually, people are being healed. And collectively, people are becoming forever family. Because when you walk with someone through their recovery, and they walk with you, and they're not fixing you and you're not fixing them, but together you're being repaired by your Creator, a bond develops. A bond like no other. I appreciate your comments. We got about three minutes to to discuss this. Anything else you want to say? I'm going to ask Alan in three minutes. Uh oh, Alan. So, if you have a chemical reaction that causes you to It is a process. Addiction is a process. And I agree with your quoting of Scripture. I think God reveals. If, if that's what we want, then He gives us over to those desires. Mm -hmm. And we really didn't want it. Yeah, and just because I have a predisposition, I mean, given my history, I'm going to have a predisposition to homosexuality. It's what I learned before I even knew what human sexuality was. Does that mean I have the right to become a homosexual? Does that justify my decision to be a homosexual, to act out my homosexuality? I don't, I don't. So by understanding these hurts that cause hangups, that cause habits and, and lead us into character defects, 
I don't think that justifies us. It does not get us off the hook, but it does help us understand what's going on within us. Does that make sense? Otherwise, I mean, if God makes us this way, then God holding us accountable is, he's not a God worth worshiping, he's a tyrant. He's not a God in any true sense of the word. That's my view. All right, we got to get out of here. Thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.